Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Sure, it's an interesting combination to be a musician and to be a preacher. Because when you're a musician, you're a feeler. You kind of feel things always. If you feel like singing, you want to sing. If you feel like speaking, then you speak. Uh, you're constantly in the, in the feeling space, which is cool. I think it's a privilege that when I need music, I can actually entertain myself with my own music, which is cool. Uh, unless I'm bored from singing. Uh, but, well, I'm very excited to share with you a few things this afternoon. And I really trust that God will do what he has intended to do this afternoon. That beyond my plans and beyond what I'm going to say, I pray that somewhere along the line you will meet, God will meet you where you are at, and that you will truly grasp what God has on his heart for you this afternoon. Or perhaps what, what God has on his heart for us as his people. Because there is a purpose why God has allowed you and I to be here, to sit in this building at this hour Bible says many are the plan in the man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. In other words, God's purposes precede our plan. God's purposes are more powerful than our plans. God's purposes are even more important than our own plans. And our, my prayer is that this evening, God's purposes, the things that God has in his mind, that those very things will take place. The things that you need to be aware of, that you will be aware of. That God will truly fulfill what he has decided to do this afternoon. And I think when you and I can come to that place where we meet God, it's God's plan, we connect with his purposes, then our coming will make sense. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to really come and engage with God and allow God to meet you where you are at. Sometimes coming to church can basically look like going into the shop and coming out. Or literally going into a room and coming out. But I do believe every moment of Jesus changes you. Every single moment of Jesus is very unique. The one thing that strikes me from my little journey of God is that there have never been a day when I decided to spend time with God. And I felt like it was, very, it was very similar from spending time with maybe blessing my housemate or whoever. Every time I've spent time with Jesus, even if it's for two minutes, I'm always amazed at just the, the reality of his love. Just the reality of, of his presence. I am always amazed. Just I can't, sometimes I'm like, how can God love such a terrible person as me? And how can this creator, the creator of the universe, decide to really come and desire to know me and become, and perhaps even become a friend to call me his friend? How is it possible that this living God would take a minute and listen to me and even speak? Because when we're praying now, there are people who are praying in China. There are people who are praying in the United States. Some people in the countries where they are, they are sleeping. And some of them, before they sleep, they are praying while we're praying. And while we're praying, God is listening to you. He's listening to me. He's listening to the person in China. He's listening to the person in Indonesia. He's listening to the person in France. He's listening to the person in Congo. At the very same time, and God is speaking to them there in China, speaking to you now. He's speaking to the person in Indonesia. He's speaking to, he's speaking to someone in Pumalanga at the same very time. And it's the same God. <laughs> I think that that's amazing. Often when I'm on the plane, that's when I actually realize how small I am. Because of all the pride we can have. No matter how amazing you th- we think we are, we are very small. The day I was on the boat and there was a storm on the boat, that's the day I realized I'm nothing. I can just finish like this. My life can just finish like this. Because I realized the boat was so big. And 
the way the storm was so hectic, the boat felt like a little cup. And the funny thing is, on the ocean, it's not like on the ground, where even at least if it hits, you can feel like, well, we can come out, or I can escape. And that was hectic. It was crazy. That's the day I realized there is so much things that are not in my control. And it constantly brings you into a place of humility. Because even if I died, I would have still been with Jesus. So even in that uncertainty day, in the midst of not knowing what, the hope that we have in Christ is the fact that even, in our, even while we die, we actually, we're not away from him. Christ has even a better meaning to our lives. We live with this thing called the living hope. The question is, thinking of all of these things, who are you? Who are you? I think I'm really going to speak to you from my heart today. I think when I think of my life, eh? And my life as a, as a boy or as a man. But also as a child in a family. But also as a leader in a church. The biggest challenge I've ever had. Or the biggest challenge that I constantly have. That I constantly face. It has very little to do with my gift. The greatest challenge that I all constantly face is the challenge around my identity. The greatest challenge that I, that I continuously face, it, it has a lot, very little to do with my gift because I was already born with the talents that I have. I didn't have to, to know who I am in order for me to exercise the gift I have. But in order for me to really tap into a place where I would be secured in who I am. There was a process that I needed to go through. In Proverbs, the scripture says, as a man think. So easy. <laughs> and you know, Paul says when he was a kid, when he was a child, he spoke like a child. When he grew, he spoke like an adult. The question again is, who am I? I, was, I went for an interview on Friday um, with a magazine they, where they wanted to, to interview me to capture a video, to share my story, um, what I think about worship. And they basically send it all over the world to reach out to people, the gospel. But they wanted to use my story, but targeting specifically unbelievers. So I had to speak thinking of the non-Christians, so avoiding all the Christian lingos until they get the different section until I got to the place where I could lead people to Christ through my sharing. And when I was filling the form, part of the forms there was Asian, African, or black, white, Indian, well, one of the, one of the options. When I was growing up, I never really thought I was black. There was never a form until I was grade 12, until I came to South Africa, where I ever had to feel that I was black. There was never a form like that. So I was never aware of something that is connected to my, ski, to my skin color. But you grew up with it, if you grew up in this country. So when they say black, there is something that comes with it. When you hear white, there is things that comes with it. When you hear Indians, there is something that comes with it. When you hear the coloreds, there is something. Or your Caucasians, or whatever it is, there is something. <laughs> there is something. <laughs> whatever it is, because I saw it on the phone there. There's something. <laughs> Funny enough, <laughs> there is something that comes with it. And every one of these colors, when you hear them, there are social implications. So meaning, socially speaking, being black is an identity that is connected to certain things. Being white is an identity in this country or in the world 
that's connected to something. In fact, you will see that in some movies when they want, when the movie is, let's say, when the main actors are black people, when they need a prostitute in the movie, they will speak specifically type of ladies that looks in a certain way. When there is robbers in some movies, they will pick certain things, which is the reason why when the Black Panther came, it was a big thing. Why? Because it was a skin-based movie. People didn't just go to war because of the, of the storyline, but because there was more black people than any other race. So the people that identified with that movie and it was so much connected, even us that speaks in tongues, we also had a certain connection to it <laughs> because, because of how we view ourselves. Amen. Amen. We all had a certain way of looking at this movie because of the layout of the movie, the content of the movie, and how we, it relates to us or how it relates to some based on their culture. So if you are white in this country, you are treated in a certain way. You, are sp you, 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 you receive things in a certain way. You have a certain package. Some people call it white privilege. Okay? And then if you are black and you, you sign up for BEE, you can receive your black, black privilege. There are people that, have that are very wealthy today because of the black privilege in the BEE ideology. So, if you go in the Cape Flat, you will also face certain things and certain advantages because you are from that community. The reality is, even if we, we can't deceive ourselves, even though we speak in tongues and prophesy, we are all aware of these things, and these things have affected the way we think of ourselves and the way we engage with other people, Consci consciously or unconsciously. This is uncomfortable, maybe. It shouldn't be uncomfortable. If it is uncomfortable, then you should ask yourself, why are you uncomfortable? The question is, who are you? In some other context, Identity is connected sometimes to what you do. For some people, it may be a politician. If I say Donald Trump, you know, you connect already politics. So if Donald Trump's son comes into this venue and says, okay, this is Donald Trump, you're going to relate to that, to his son, based on the connection that you have in mind. So it's part of his identity because of what his, his father does. Jacob Zuma. Imagine being Jacob Zuma's daughter, and you constantly see on TV things get spoken about him, against him, for him, and everything. Imagine being Julius Malema's wife. Imagine the amount of time your, your husband is, gets tweeted, insulted every single day on Twitter. Or imagine being Musi Maimane's son or daughter, and your surname is Maimani, or being part of Hitler's family, your surname is Hitler, then everybody knows in the world that your grandfather or your father was a murderer. So to some extent, you can't even apply for a visa to, to Israel because you have <laughs> because because you share some hectic stories, and not because of what you did, because of your name. It's part of your identity. So your identity is connected to where you come from. There is a sense of your origin. So if you think of your origin, and you think of your destiny, of where you're going, there is a lot that is connected to how you view yourself and what you do. So in other words, if I may summarize, in our life in general, identity is very much acquired. And it's acquired through different means, whether socially, whether in terms of your profession. It's like if you meet Neymar, the soccer player. Some of you don't know. One of my favorite players. I only know him because of what he does. When Neymar had an issue with a girl in Brazil, it was a big thing on the media. Not because of what he did, but because of who he is. Because of what he represents part of his identity, his profession, kind of plays a certain impact. But the question is, is that his identity? 
You too, socially, maybe you're part of an ethnic group. That's how you view yourself socially. You may be a father. You may be a mother. You may be a daughter. I have a friend of mine. She's a worship leader. She has three kids. She's younger than me, and all the three kids have different fathers. And that is hectic for her. She's not married to any of them. And that is very tough. She's a worship leader as well. And she has to face, I was chatting with her the other day, she's constantly facing so many challenges that is connected to just the story, her background. Now, she had her first child when she was 17. And that's not, that's not easy. So sometimes there are people that, have, that view themselves based on the professional line where they sit and that's where they are based and they would do anything and do anything just to protect that realm because that's the security and that's everything. And others, it is, sorry to use the word, race. I am black and everything that's black, that's me. Anything outside of black, even if it's as in the name of Jesus, I don't care. Some people are like that. Or, so the reality is, that's the kind of world we live in. And we were brought up, we grew up being exposed to these things. The question is, how much have these things have affected the way I really think of myself? And what does the Bible say that I am? How does God see me? When God thinks of blessing, what is, if God would say, if, if they would ask Jesus, Jesus, who is blessing? Would Jesus say, he's black? Would Jesus say, he's an engineer? Is, will Jesus say, he's, uh, huh? he's Matthew's flatmate? <laughs> okay. Who is he? Or when blessing goes to Jesus, Jesus why do I even live? What is the meaning of my life? I was singing yesterday out water front at a book launch, and there was a lady, she's a worship leader, I didn't know. She tried to kill herself five years ago. She was drinking some crazy things, and she just ended up waking up in the hospital. And when she woke up, she realized she, she wasn't dead. She regretted it because she wanted to die. Because there was no meaning to life after traveling all over the world, singing and everything. Who are you? Are you your job? Are you your career? Are you your dream? Many people, they pursue so many things, and by the time they, they end up where they wanted to go, they realize, oh, I still don't know who I am. Let me rather die, because there's no meaning. Who are you? Who are you? Let's go through scriptures. Uh, in Genesis, Chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Then God commanded, Let the water be filled with many kinds of living beings, and let the air be filled with birds. Next, next slide. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the water swam according to the kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Uh, let's go to the next one. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. The following one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Can you just go back to the Genesis 1 verse 20? What you notice in this particular portion, though chapter 1 speaks of creation when God was busy creating, what you'll notice is if you think of the fish, the fish existed when God created the fish. God said, and God commanded, let the water be filled. God spoke from a specific context, a specific thing. There was water. God spoke almost into the water. And out of the water came out the fish. And then, go to the next verse. Then you see the, fi the fish. And then the firmament, God commanded the bird. So there was an environment created first before the, the fish was made. There was water first. God made first the environment and then created the fish. 
and the birds as well. God made first the year, the firmament, and then there was the stars, and we even see the birds as well being created. Um, next slide. And God said, let the earth bring forth the creatures according to their kind. God spoke to it. God spoke from the, the earth. God spoke into the life of the ground. And then brought into existence the, the animals, the, the beasts, and everything. So you actually see that there was an environment existing before God created some other things. Okay? You see the earth, then we see the beast. We see the waters, then we see the fish. In fact, even chemically, if you study the fish, basically the bigger portion of a fish is basically water. So, what is interesting is, when God created many other things that I'm not going to mention because we don't have much time, you'll see that even the stars, the lights, and everything, God created first an environment for those things before those things took place. But when God decided to create the human being, when God created, decided to create the humankind, God did not speak into anything that he created before, with the earth, with the waters and everything. But God spoke to himself. God spoke to himself. A lot of people that speaks of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, many times they will defend say, from that time there was a God speaking to him, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. God spoke to himself. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every, creep, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God spoke to himself. We were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of the creator, the one who made, who brought to existence everything. Let's read what, what Paul says in Ephesians. Um, in Ephesians, he speaks, in that particular verse, uh, chapter, he's speaking about the grace of God in terms of our salvation. But he speaks of the new life that we receive in Christ. But also, I think he tests the implication also in terms of how God has made us. He said, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The human being was God's masterpiece. He was the one that God ordained to rule, to lead, to take charge of everything he created. When you speak of a masterpiece, it's like you ask me, you ask me okay, maybe from all your albums, what is your masterpiece? Oh, but from all the songs you've written, I might tell you, well, my masterpiece might be maybe the one song I, I wrote five years ago. Or it might be Bethel. Or it might be one of the, one of the, but the, like the, one of the best work, I believe. So God made us in his image. So you actually see that most of the way we think of our identity, we think of where we come from, when you think of your origin, when you think of the beginning, and how you think of your end, affects the way you see yourself. Some people believe they came from monkeys, and then they became human beings. And that on its own affects the way they think of their end. Okay? The evolutionalist, they have a certain way of thinking. And that on its own as an implication in terms of the way they even deal with others. If you look at the abuse that takes place socially in the world, it had a lot to do with the way people thought of themselves. If you think of colonialism, if you think of slavery, all of these things. Even when missionaries were going to some countries, some of them believed that some other nations did not have souls. Okay? And all of that had to do with the way they thought of the beginning, the origin, the ultimate origin, and the end. When we think of our origin, we as believers, we know that we were created in God's image. In other words, when I see blessing, I see the image of God. When I see Armand, I see the image of God. When I see uh, Jamie, I see the image of God. When I see Bandla, I see the image of God. When I see Reuben, I see the image of God. You don't see much of race mentioned there. You don't see any race mentioned there. 
Bible doesn't say he was black, he was Indian, he was whatever it is. He was just created in God's image. Why is it a big thing for us today? Why does it matter? And have we realized how much that have affected the way we think? Some people, when you start talking to them, you start even readjusting your tone. Now you become focused. Okay? Now you become serious. Okay? Some people, because of the way they look, when they look at you, now you start readjusting. And then when others are, are, are talking to you, you're just like, relax. What changes? What changes? And these are realities we face among Christians, among people who are tongue speakers. Okay? These are realities we face. And we need to ask ourselves those questions. Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to think biblically. Okay? When God looks at any one of us, he sees as his masterpiece. There are people who don't like themselves. You know, when I was growing up, um, I don't mind. <laughs> so, when I was growing up, I have five siblings. Sometimes I, I used to hear, especially girls, who say, oh, man, the ugliest person in their house in the family is Matthew. Okay? I was growing up listening to that, not one time, many times. Okay? Now, at the same time, Born again, reading the Bible, knowing this verse, knowing I was created in God's image. How do I live with this? Why am I saying this? In the process of our journey, there is this reality of identity theft that takes place. There are people, that's why you see some people when they want to take a picture, they have to readjust. <laughs> when they do a selfie, Suddenly, they, they like, <laughs> and you wonder, what are they hiding? What are they hiding? And then, they take a picture of themselves, they go on an effect, they start lightening their skin. They start lightening their skin. And you wonder, what is going on? There is an identity theft. I'm telling you, these are happening among the tongue speakers, church goers. If you want to see how much people don't like themselves, go on Instagram. Go on Instagram. Go on Instagram. You don't have to go to church to know. Go on Instagram. You will know how much we're not proud of who we are. There is many people who think they are ugly. Because, no, no one pursued me. Oh, no, no one is interested in me. Oh, and I haven't seen any guy take, uh, even coming to uh, want to take coffee with me. I've been in this church for three years, and no guy have ever even take the initiative of inviting me for coffee. <laughs> there is not a single guy that either invited me on a bride, either on a hike, neither for a movie. Even when Black Panther came, nobody invited me. <laughs> And then, on the other hand, you find some other guys, like, you know, there is no girl that hugs me when I come at church. <laughs> I don't know if, I'm, if I stink, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm funny, I don't know if they're not interested. And the other day, I was standing, and another, guy, another girl came, she hugged the other guy, and then she stopped. She stopped, I was waiting, and then it didn't happen. At home as well, nobody talks to me. No girl says yes to me. But tongue-speaking people, we struggle with those things. Everyone here wants to be in a relationship. Even if we speak in tongues. Everyone here that is single in this room wants to be loved. Every human being wants to. Mustn't say, no, I want... No, no, you don't want to go to heaven. You want to be in a relationship. <laughs> okay. So our biggest battlefield when it comes to our identity is our mind. Because your movies have taught you that you're not beautiful. 
your movies, I've told, I've told you that you're not cool enough until you'll have that particular country's accent. You're not cool enough. And that's a problem. Because it speaks about how, who do you think you are. Your heart. I told you, the biggest challenge that I constantly face as a leader, where the, the, the area of my life that gets severely challenged is the area of my identity. Because there are people that you lead, and they, while you think you are called by God, there are also people that are 100% sure that you are not called by God. While you think you are anointed, there are also people that are 100% sure that you are not anointed. And they will prove you. There is a guy that I used to go and visit and I would go to see him before the services and everything. When he finished his studies, out of student, he was telling me that he never felt at home. He never felt like there was anything done for him. And I had to sit there like, well, did I do that for Jesus or did I do it to receive thanks from him? Was I doing the right thing? Was I doing the wrong thing? Or am I the wrong person in leadership on these students? Should I resign? Should I continue? Should I not continue? You sit with this thing. By the same time, you have the promise of God. By the same time, you are flesh and bones. You think when he says that, I'm not going to feel anything because the Holy Spirit is in me? No, I also get angry. I also get disappointed. I also get shocked. And sometimes it doesn't last an hour. It can last a month or even months. Unless the Lord really comes and reminds me of where I come from and what is my hand. Of the, that's why the apostles, they were ready to pay a big price. Your mind, your heart, and all of these things are very dangerous spaces where you have to deal with the issue of your identity. So we'll, we'll look into one story. Sorry, Tenashe. Uh, the story of Mephibosheth. I'm going to try summarize it so that we don't waste a lot of time. Um, this is, Mephibosheth was one of the grandsons of, um, of Saul, who was a king. Remember, if you read prior to this, David um, was anointed and he was about to become a king. Even before he became a king, while, uh, once, he, once he overcame over Goliath, there were ladies singing, well, this is the amount of people he killed and Saul killed so much. Jealousy took place and the guy was insecure and the guy decided to just get on David to kill him. Tried many ways to get him and that, that was hectic. And I think that was one of the most difficult times. Now imagine, you have been anointed by one of the top prophets in the country, Samuel. Then you're going to be a king, anointed. And then the first thing, second thing, you go back, shepherding the animals. And some of the animals are stubborn. While you're busy running after the sheep, you still remember what you anointed yesterday as a king. How do you deal with that? You believe you're a king anointed by God. But suddenly you have to run up the sheep. And then the next day, well, there is a gig going to sing there by the king's court. Now you're a musician in that moment. David went there, started singing. All of these things happened. But it was a trauma. And then at some point, David made a covenant with uh, Jonathan. The Bible said they loved each other as one, so they made a covenant. So the exchange, there was an exchange moment where Jonathan took his robe, gave it to David, gave his sword, gave him things. And then after all, there was a war. Cut the story short, Saul died, Jonathan died, and then after a while, David became king. And because he made a covenant with Jonathan, he started pursuing the people that were of the family of Jonathan, his friend, because he made a covenant with him. So now, this is the space where he says, the king asked, this is David, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is lame in both feet. Physical disability. How do you live when you were born blind? Some of us, we can see. How do you, I have a friend, his child is six years old. His child hasn't spoken yet since he was born. They're still trusting the child will speak. How do you live with that? For some, because of his cultural environment, they think there is a curse over his family. 
For some, there is a need of deliverance. Now this is a worship leader. That's, that is, that is going to have to live with this reality. He has to send this child to a specific type of school. And that's some of the realities that he has to face. Physical disability. Some people, they even regret of their skin color. When they sleep in the morning, they wake up, they look at themselves in the mirror. They want to run away. Like, oh, if I was just this. Physical disability with this guy. Next, next slide. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, the son of Emniel, in Lodibar. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed to pay him honor. Next slide. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your son for that you should notice a dead dog like me? Identity theft. The guy had an issue. He had a physical issue which had probably, potentially, a lot of implications socially. Some people say, some commentaries say, I don't, I'm not 100% sure, say that, well, in, in such a culture back then, those who had some physical disability, they dressed in a certain way. There are places where they couldn't go because they, were, they would be considered as unclean. And I even now imagine going and eat with a king that could have been an impossibility. Now this is a guy sitting. He wasn't, it's not like he had an accident. Perhaps he was born like that. I don't necessarily know whether that happened because of something. But let's assume the guy was born like that. But he still has to worship God. He still reads Genesis that says he was created in God's image. How do you live with such a reality? We are struggling because we build the Christianity where we're saying everything is just great. Everything is just cool. You just have to be cool. We don't know how to cope with suffering. We don't know even how to prepare people to cope with impossibility. No one of us is ready for suffering. When people followed Christ, it wasn't a cool thing because they knew it was basically at the expense of their lives. Most of them, actually, the apostles, they were killed for following Christ. Now, this guy, he had an issue, a physical issue. And that, and his issue, and not only that, his grandfather was an enemy to David. So I'm pretty sure back then, he could have even been fear because, well, there was so much that happened prior to his father dying. That could have taken David's life. I'm not 100% sure how he reacted when he was told that David was looking for him, whether he was afraid or not. He was like, well, this guy was my grandfather's enemy. And you can actually see in one of the texts where David is now in this particular uh, place where he encounters Saul and these guys are like, here's an opportunity, you can kill him. So there was a lot of tension. What I'm saying is, if you look at the story of this guy, That's not a very easy to live with. A physical challenge. And one of the biggest areas that are challenging our identity today is the whole physical thing. That's why everybody will post. I have a friend. Uh, he, he, he started pursuing a girl on Facebook. And then one day, they met in person. The next day, he never wanted to see her. He blocked her. And he never wants to see her again. Because what he saw on Facebook wasn't what he saw in reality. But that's the reality we face. And many of us, we, not, we don't look the way we look on Instagram. All I'm saying is, there is an image of ourselves that we want, that we project there, that has to do with the physical, the appearance, the, the appearance, how the approval of men, the approval of people, the approval of girls, the approval of all of... And suddenly we don't realize how much you live for people. 
You live to be a man pleaser. There are churches that are set up to please people, to make sure people are just happy, people are just cool, people are just satisfied. And in the midst of that, we miss what God really wants of them. Now, this guy, because of his physicality and all of the things, it's something that we see in the text. But then the most important thing is that David pursued him and invited him to sit with him at the table. Not because of who he was, not because of what anything he did, but because of the covenant he made with Jonathan. That's exactly the same what Christ did with us. Jesus, when he came, he died on the cross. He paid the price. In fact, when Jonathan made a covenant with David, the Bible says he took his robe and he gave it to David. He took his sword, he gave it to David. He took his belt, he gave it to David. And some people say that the prince back then will dress like his father. In other words, Jonathan looked exactly like his dad in terms of his dress code. So when he was doing that, I'm just imagining how much Saul could have been upset. Because he literally represented his father. But in that moment, Jonathan was saying, David, now you are, we are on the same page. I'm not going to relate to you based on where you come from. Because I have made covenant with you, we are literally brothers. Your interests are my interests. Your people are my people. My advantages are your advantages. My privilege are your privilege. We may look different physically. You might be white and I'm black. You might be Indian and I'm colored. But because we are on the same page, we will be engaging with one another from a very brand new narrative. Now, because of Jesus, when he died on the cross, what Jesus did is he took his robe of sonship and he did put it on all of us as his children. The Bible says in John that for those that believe in him, he has given them the power to become children of God. So the same very robe of Jesus as the Son of God is the same very robe that is on you. The same very life of God. The Bible says that we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the Father sits on the table with us. We have intimacy with the Father forever. Not because of what we did, but because of what Christ has done for us. So we are on the same page. We have fellowship of Jesus because of Jesus. Through the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. When you pray, the Father answers your prayer exactly as he did answer the prayers of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says we are part of the body of Christ. Jesus said in his prayer, you love them as you loved me. The same glory you gave to me, you also gave to them. But what is it that even though we've believed in Jesus, we know this truth what is it that we are still captive in what we knew outside of the kingdom? Why are we still suffering of, we are out of Egypt, but why are we still living as Egyptians? We are already on the table with David, with the son of David, with Jesus himself, with the father himself. But why are we still acting as if we're still in Lodebar, where we haven't received an invitation to sit with him on the same table. And we're still thinking of our feet. Oh, this is how I look. This is how he looks. Oh, now this is how she looks. This is who I am. And this is what they think. This is what the media said. This is what that newspaper said. This is what that narrative said. And as a result, we can't sit on the same table. Even though we confess to be following the same Jesus. And I wonder if we raise ourselves for hell or if we raise ourselves for heaven. Because we're going to have to sit on the same table at the feast of the Lamb. But how are we going to go there if we can't love one another, if we're looking at one another according to the flesh? And that's how we define the issue of identity of around people. Because the thing is, 
How different do you think you are of other people? How different do we think we are from other people? A lot of time, we have this perception about ourselves. And then there is this other perception about others. And we think we are on the right side. We are on the best side. When we pray, Jesus is not impressed with how many tongues you make. Jesus is not impressed with how many words. He looks at the heart. We are only a church as far as, as, as deep as we are in our hearts with one another. We may be a crowd sitting here together, but we're not necessarily together. So, the guy sat on the same table with him. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says. The last. He says, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and, entrusted, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The one place where either the Indians, either the Europeans, either the Asians, either the Africans can all meet together, it's through Christ Jesus. It's through the cross. The cross was the place of convergence. The cross was the place where everything was made possible so that we could be one. And Christ even prayed for that oneness. Christ fulfilled everything. In other words, if we really want to trust for God to do that deep work in terms of Relating to one another for who we are in Christ. We're going to have to really connect with the finished work of the cross. How evident is the work of the cross in our lives? How evident is the work of the cross in, the, in terms of the way we think of one another? If the cross was a place of reconciliation, why is it that the things that pops in in our hearts aren't things that are Connecting one another together. Why do, I get, why do we get upset of one another? Why can't we be together? Why, that, why is all your friends people that, that look exactly like you? How come you are at a university that is multicultural? And all your friends look exactly like you. I'm just saying. Like, how, how come... The only people that you've been able to be friends with, they are only people who look exactly like you. Worse, they only speak your tongue. No pressure. No judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are, we are challenging one another. We are challenging one another. We are challenging one another to say, let's be real. Let's be real. Jesus, if Jesus was at UCT, do you think Jesus would have only had friends that way? Huh? Oh, was he going to be only part of the Jewish society? <laughs> Look at the church, in Anth uh, the church of Antioch. That church really reflected the heart of God. But that is just a corporate setting. How is it in our hearts? How is it in our hearts? I'm not saying it is easy. It is not easy. It takes some work to readjust. Because some cultures are just weird. Some cultures you will require some of grace from you. Where you're going to have to cope. You see something like, okay. Mm. <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> mercy, mercy. Jesus, grace, 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 grace. But it's going to take some work. Because we're very different. Okay? But all I'm saying is, how you often view yourself might affect the way you view others. If you are insecure in yourself, you might even be insecure in others. You might end up wanting to control them. And sometimes even control the way they should see you. And you, have you realized how much that affects the way you lead your small group? You want to know everything. You want to control everybody. You want to know. You want to be in charge. You want to be in charge. When conversations happen, you want to control the conversation. You know how much? 
We're insecure. You are insecure. You are insecure. Go back to Jesus. There are churches where people are afraid of people visiting other churches. Don't go to other churches. Don't go to other churches. Pastor, you are insecure. You are insecure. Relax. That's the reality. We end up creating a system because of the way of our in own insecurity. Our own insecurity. Now, suddenly, you're a guy, you speak in tongues, now you're dating, and suddenly you don't want other guys to greet the girl because you're afraid if they greet her, or I don't know what. <laughs> Deal with yourself. Go back to Jesus. Be secured in yourself. Now it's a lot of jealousy. Oh, if the, someone sent a text, oh, why did you receive the WhatsApp from that person? Oh, why did you get that WhatsApp? Ah, ah, you, that person is texting you too much. No, relax. Relax, brother. Relax, brother. Relax, brother. Oh, no. I don't receive a lot of friendship requests. I posted that picture the other day on Facebook. No one is liking it. Okay? You change the profile picture and only 10 people liked it. Relax. <laughs> Relax. Relax. And you can be depressed for two days. And then as a result, you change again the profile picture. <laughs> Because you want approval. But sometimes, most of those things that we seek are actually things we need to find in God. That's approval. That's affirmation. You actually need to find it in God. The, the ultimate destiny of our lives is not marriage. It's to be with Jesus. But if your end, the way you define your end, is so superficial, that affects the way you, you do life prior to that. How does your end look like? I like that song that says, you are my first, you are my last, you are my future. When you think of your future, because your destiny is connected to your identity. Completely connected. If you are confused about your, your identity, you may also you will probably be confused about your destiny. Jesus started his own ministry from a place of knowing that he was the son of God. The major difference between Jesus and all of those that came before him, Jesus served the father as a son. And he wasn't doing things to become a son of God, but he was doing everything as a son of God. Who are you? Are you first black and then a Christian or a follower of Jesus? Are you first white and then a follower of Jesus? Or are you first a believer and then you are whatever you have, whatever the world they've boxed you in? Jesus never said you were white. Jesus never said you were black. The world taught you that this is who you are. And because of that, you think the way you are. And you decided to unlike the others that look different because of the way the world have defined you. And now you, you end up falling into some ideologies, following into some things because you're looking for security. The reality is you are insecure. And go and find the secret place, the place of security in Christ. The Bible says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High dwells under the shadow of the Almighty. One thing that strikes me about Jesus in the gospel is how secure he was, even through the storms. When he woke up, he said, peace. It was peace. The storms in front of you, you will not be able to calm it until you calm the storm in, on the inside. There is a lot of things that we want. You start writing ideology. You start the page. You start the movement because you want to change. The thing is, there is a trauma on the inside that you need to allow Christ to come. Let's stand. Let's stand. If the band can maybe be in front just playing some guitar. I would love us to, to really bring our hearts before God. The reality is, we all face different things that causes identity theft. Perhaps you don't even know who you are. Or perhaps you even regret 
from being born in the kind of context. I remember a friend telling me, Matthew, I don't even know why I was born in this family. This family is terrible. Perhaps you've even made some decisions that have caused you to be where you are at. And it's confusion upon confusion. But this evening, you want to really come to that place where the finished work of the cross becomes a reality in your heart. When the cross is not a story anymore, but it is life within you. Where the resurrection of Jesus is not a story anymore. It's not just things that we talk about, but it is actually the, a reality in terms of how you view yourself. Because how you view yourself will affect the way you view others. And if you just hear, you just want to say, God, I need you in these things. I need you to fix the way I look at myself. Because the reality is, I don't even look like myself. I don't like my shape. I don't like my height. I don't like my body shape. I don't like whatever it is. I don't like myself. Sometimes I wish you created me differently. There's nothing wrong going to God and being real. Say, God, this is what, how I feel. Why was I born in a poor family? Why was I born in that poor area? Why was I born in this context? Because those things have shaped the way you look at one, yourself. But there is a place in God where we can all meet to allow Christ to do the deeper work in our hearts. So if you hear and you know that you really need to come to that place of experiencing the reality of his death and the reality of his resurrection in your life, in your own heart, I want to encourage you to come forward. I'm not going to ask anybody to pray for you, but I would like you to pray for yourself. If you know that there have been an identity theft, whether through disappointment, whether through things that people have said, whether through circumstances of life, I would like you to take the boldness of bringing yourself to the Lord and allow Him to do a much deeper work. Perhaps you take your pride based on just the who you think you look in the natural. Cultural pride. There are people that perhaps you think are inferior to you based on your context or perhaps your achievement. But this, this evening you want to come to the table to sit with Christ, to fellowship with Him, to engage with Him, to engage with Him even in terms of your shame. Even the shame that you have inherited. The cross of Jesus is the place where we can bring our shame. Because on the cross, He took our shame. He died on the cross. Took our shame on the cross. So that we can know the Father. Just start praying to where you are. Just pray, start engaging with God. Speak to Him. Engage with Him. Let's take the liberty of just engaging the Father. Let's bring our insecurities. Let's bring our fears. Even our shame. Oh God. Oh God, we pray. Oh God, we pray. Oh God, we pray. We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray that you may know, you may truly know you. That you may truly know who we are in you. What the cross have made of us to be. God, we pray that the reality of the cross may become alive again in us. It's because when you die, you die with us, God. You made us alive in you. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would come 
and bring the reality of the cross in us, God. So that boldly we will come to your table and fellowship with you. Not because we deserved it, but because of the finished work of the cross. We pray that you will be the people that will extend our hands to those that look differently from us. To those that we think are not worthy. That we will invite them and sit with them on the table and engage with your heart, Father.